Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about problem solving with Jay Goodwin. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, I, I, I tend to cause problems more than I solve them, but you know, that's, that's just one of my <laughs> So I appreciate you hopping on the Popular Pig Podcast. You have been regarded by many of your colleagues as the problem solving guru. You've been involved with many Many startups, uh, multiple acquisitions, over $100 million with an IPO. You're very successful within the marketing, sales, and engineering realms. And so I'm excited to have you on to talk about problem solving and the, the mentality and, and process of problem solving. Would you, would you mind giving a little background on yourself and kind of where you are today? Yeah, so, um, you know, like a lot of, of people of my generation, um, you know, they talk about, we need to have, uh, you know, more uh, computer literacy in schools or whatever. Well, I mean, I grew up in nowhere, Kansas, um, and we had uh, computers and everybody had to take at least uh, two or three years of, of programming or, or, you know, other things. I mean, that was how you interacted with computers. So everybody learned basic things like that. So, I mean, I started out probably 1981 um, on Apple IIs, um, bought um, uh, you know, Commodore and, and started working on that very quickly, outran whatever uh, they were going to teach us and, and luckily had, um, you know, computer and science teachers that were basically, you go do what you do and explore the, you know, the, the possibilities. And for those that aren't so much interested, we'll just keep them on the class track, right? So I was able to run quite a bit ahead. Um, and then um, went, to, went to college, not not for uh, for computers because at the time you know the, the computer programs were at least in the Midwest pretty pretty weak. Um, so I studied poli sci history and philosophy, uh, which of course made me perfectly suited to be in business and uh, in, in you know in engineering. But uh, what it did do is teach me how to think about certain things, how to how to approach problems. Um, I worked in uh, worked in sales. Um, and then eventually um, there was a startup in California uh, that contacted me who wanted me because I'm kind of a polymath. I can do a lot of things well, which is the exact kind of skill sets you want for, for startups. Uh, so I went out there um, and that company ended up uh, IPOing. Um, and then I left that and went to um, another startup, which got bought um, by Netscape. Um, I wasn't such a big fan of, of big companies, so I, I moved on to another startup, promptly got bought by Intel. Uh, I was getting a little tired of getting bought by big companies because I didn't really want to work there. Um, and when the, when the dot bomb went off, um, I went back to Kansas because I had a wife and three kids and didn't want to 
you know, deal with the, the expenses of California and, you know, the startup scene had kind of died a bit. Um, so I came back and I started uh, working more um, certainly on the technology and, 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 you know, looking at challenges coming down the path, but, but for more traditional industries, you know, like newspapers, things like that. Um, and that was where I started to, to really kind of appreciate the, the difference between what the Valley was doing, which was, you know, kind of navel gazing about tech and then the practical application and, and, de and deployment of that within other industries that could really use it, but they don't need, you know, the most cutting edge, crazy things. It's just, they need something that, you know, maybe, maybe five years old in the Valley, but would still be awfully useful for them in, in what they do. Um, and so you don't have to pay for the bleeding edge costs. Um, and it's just a matter of understanding where it fits, you know, within that, within that industry. And so I continued doing that and, and, you know, a lot of advising and consulting with, with startups um, through venture funds that, that knew me and, and would kind of call me in. Um, I kind of joke that, that I'm the, I'm the fireman, you know, nobody wants to have me come by, you know, nobody invites me over uh, when things are going well. It's always when everything's gone to hell in a handbasket that they don't, that guy, send him in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not necessarily exactly how we met, but it was along the lines. We had a couple of problems we were trying to solve and, um, Glenn, we asked him, Hey, do you know somebody who can help us solve a couple of these problems? And he set us to get up together and you came in, met with us in person first over the computer for probably a year, but then we finally brought you in and, uh, you really helped us understand how to better dissect the problems that we were trying to solve in, in a way where we weren't just building something that a few people needed, but something that rather everybody needed. Yeah. I think, I think the big, the big thing about, um, you know, anything you do is from a, you know, business or even, you know, life standpoint, you have to understand what the goal is and, and not, not just the, the means to achieve it. Right. You know, a lot of times we'll get, we'll get caught up in the, this is how you do it because either it's how we've always done it. Or I read somewhere that this is how you do it. Um, and they miss the point of, of why you do it. Um, and I, you know, I, I joke, it's not really joking. I mean, I, I really, I really should start a, uh, a consulting firm that that includes a three-year-old uh, because three-year-olds already know the question to ask. Um, it's their favorite word, right? When you're two, your favorite word is no. And that's an important word to have. Um, but, but number, you know, when you're three, your favorite word is why. And, and why is, is you should always ask why um, on anything you do on anything you're looking at. Um, you know, if we, if we say, I mean, if I go into to, to a company and they, uh, they're having problems and, and so I start asking, well, you know, tell me a little bit about it. Well, why do you do this? And if I hear because that's the way we've always done it, you're not going to like me because why suddenly gets really annoying. I mean, I'll keep digging on why until you unveil what the underlying thing is. And a lot of times that underlying um, reason for that existing is either not applicable or nobody remembers it anymore. Um, it's just kind of been walking along as a zombie process for a long time. Um, the other thing is that people will do things um, that because they've read about it, they've heard it's successful. And I mean, that's akin to, to, to putting on a pointy hat and thinking that you're suddenly the head of the Roman Catholic church, just because, you know, the head of the Catholic church happens to wear a pointy hat. Um, no, the, the hat itself is not what actually, 
uh, gives you that 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 role. Um, but because they saw somebody, oh well, that guy's doing. I'll just mimic it. Either either misunderstanding that that was a small part of it, or that they're trying to solve a problem that's totally unrelated to yours, and you're actually choosing the wrong means. Yeah, and I think that was a big thing that we really dove into, and you did. You said why I don't know how many times, and and sometimes it's of even un, unintentional. Like it's not that uh, we don't remember why we did it, or it's completely irrelevant. Sometimes it's unintentional, and you're like, whoa. We actually did take a wrong turn, and it takes sometimes an hour or two of just asking why. Yeah, uh, the, the devil is, is often in the assumptions that you make, either, either spoken or not, um, and, and those can really bite you. Um, you know, the, the, I, I think a lot of times people, people will say, well, you know, somebody wants this, and you ask why, and, and they you know, Talk like let's let's relate it to, to pork. Um, you know the the well. You know there's this new we're seeing we're seeing a drop in in purchase of of pork. Um, why is that? Well, you know we talk to them and they say, oh, I want healthier. Uh, you know, and and I, I I see all these commercials and it's about lean and all that. And so you deliver leaner meat. Right. And, and yet you don't sell more. In fact, you may sell less. Right. If you actually go and look at what is being done, you know, but the behaviors, not what they say, but the behaviors, they're buying bacon and ham and all that. These are not lean cuts. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, they are they are the ones that are most popular. And so the you know, you make mistakes because either somebody said a certain thing and you took it literally rather than actually looking at the behavior. Right. Um, the other thing is that people, you know, I think, you know, Henry Ford always talks about the, you know, the quotas, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said, you know, a faster horse or a better horse. Right. Um, and, and, you know, people kind of laugh about that, but the fact is that is what they wanted. Um, but they're using the language and, and, and the view of the world as they understand it. They can't conceive of the universal possible. What they're saying is there are these drawbacks to the horse. I wish it could be solved, right? That doesn't literally mean make a horse. You know, let's breed a horse that can be faster and craps last, right? Yeah. Um, so Henry Ford did give them a better, faster horse. It just didn't look like a horse. And and but, the but it served all the of making that the horse tough, did. Yeah, the difficulties of making tough decisions isn't something that uh, just one or two people might face or that an individual might face, but everybody, regardless of intelligence, everybody faces the challenge of figuring out how do you appropriately approach a problem, dissect it, and figure out how to make the very best decision. You, you didn't tell me this, but Glenn told me about a story where you actually were able to judge an event where Elon Musk very early on was pitching an idea. And I'd love for you to share that story because right now he's probably regarded as one of the geniuses of our time. And he didn't even have it right the first time. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, first, nobody does. Um, you know, anybody that says that my first plan when I started my business is what I ended up with is lying uh, or they got ludicrously lucky and they won't repeat it. Um, but yeah, I mean, with regards to Elon, so this was um, back in the 90s and he was doing a pitch for a, uh, a startup that he was he was doing called Bank X. Um, and or it was, I think it was X.com was the, was the domain that he had. Uh, but the idea was that he wanted to have a, a online, online only bank. Um, 
and you know that would have all of the you know the the rigmarole and 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 you know services of a, of a of a bank but but additionally it would have this ability to send payments uh between people that were members um you know kind of seamlessly that you didn't have to you know wire them or this and that whatever that it would be based on email or some sort of you know unique identifier um and so he he gives this pitch and then you know it opens up for for discussion and, and my first uh question was do you have any idea the kind of regulatory crap that's involved with banking um i mean you have you have state and federal uh rules um many of those rules involve uh if you're going to operate with a state you have to have a physical uh, location within that um and the only reason i knew that is because i grew up in a small town and knew the banker um and you know he would occasionally complain about some of the things that were going on right um and i was like this is you know i think this is going to be a terrible idea you're going to you're you're running right you know at the time the idea behind everything we were doing in silicon valley was was oh this is all new green field uh we can invent you know it's the frontier you can invent uh the future and he's trying to run right into the teeth of the regulatory beast um and I, you know, I pointed all that out. I said, you know, that 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 payment thing between two people, that's pretty interesting. And and if you think about the vast majority of what we do with currency, with banks, with with all that, is really payment. Um, you know, yeah, we'll have loans and all that, right? But but from just a, a sheer volume standpoint, it's it's all transactions, right? Um, and and he kind of you know looked at me like you know who farted. Um, and then later, guess what? That's what they pivoted to. Um, I think because they probably ran into that wall, right? Um, and it's pretty cool because in that moment too, wasn't Peter Thiel in the room and they hadn't even met yet. That was kind of the day they even met. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, Glenn, Glenn told me that, uh, later that, that, that Peter Thiel was in the room as well. And, and apparently had been thinking something, you know, kind of similar. And when that got pointed out, um, I think, you know, he, he, either he or, or both. Uh, we're like, oh, well, maybe there is something. Um, I, I think they'd have come to that conclusion regardless. Um, but yeah, it, it's, but, not, it's not yeah. necessarily like you, you change their entire world, but you ask the question, why? Right. You know, it was, it was like, why would you do this when, when this is the thing? And again, from a, from a, uh, you know, from a banking standpoint, what, what are the things that are most important to be a bank? Well, I mean, it's, you know, huge amounts of assets and you have this certain liquidity things or whatever, but that doesn't attract, I mean, nobody goes, you know what, I'm going to set up a new checking account. I'm going to find the biggest bank that I possibly can uh, in my town. No, you either go for convenience or, or the service or something like that. Right. And, and so by focusing on those consumers, you know, the direct people and making it easy, right. You made it convenient. And, and again, it was, it was, it was ludicrous. I didn't have to go anywhere. I could just email somebody a payment. Well, I mean, that's winning, right? You're solving the problem. You're just not doing it as a bank. And we're seeing that today with uh, PayPal and everything else coming out uh, beyond that. Um, it's just very apparent. What would you say to people who would say, well, I don't have time to ask that uh, many questions and interview that many people? Yeah. So, so the, the I, I can tell you that that if you think it's it's costly to 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 ask questions, hell of a lot more costly to make assumptions and be wrong. Um, you know the 
the thing that that I always tell startups, and and invariably, they they ignore it until they hit a you know a painful moment and realize, oh, I guess that was actually true. It costs you nothing but time to sit down and evaluate uh, what's my customer's need, right? What's their pain point? Um, how am I going to address that pain point? How much pain do I have to remove in order for that to be valuable enough to them for me to make enough money to have a business, right? Um, you have to sit and ask why a lot. You have to really understand what's going on. But, but it, I didn't have to invest anything other than time, right? And if you do that up front, you're going to greatly increase your chances of being successful as a company and probably being close to the mark with your first iteration of product. If you just decide, well, I know what I'm going to build and I know what they want, and you build it and then you go out and fall on your nose, uh, you've already invested, you know, time and money and, and you know, resources and capital, and, and you may be limited on capital. Um, are you going to be able to pivot? You know, and, and so that, and a lot of, that's usually when people, they, they end up, you know, I'll talk to them initially. They'll, they'll, oh, yes, yes, whatever. They'll then ignore the, I need to think it through. They'll then spend money and engineering resources and all that to build something that nobody really wanted or they misunderstood the problem. And then they'll come back and say, what's going on? And I'll say, remember that thing that we talked about? Now's the time to do it. And now they're suddenly a lot more interested in doing it because they've actually felt the pain of that mistake. And there's a significant difference, right, between interviewing five to 10 customers and interviewing 100. Right. You know, and the thing is, is that, so, so generally, if you have an idea of, of who your targeted customer is right now, there's a difference between those who think, uh, I'm going to build a product and people are going to flock, you know, I'll build it and they'll come. Well, this ain't field of dreams, right? Um, if you're targeting a customer, there's a reason. You've either identified a demographic that, that you're familiar with or, or that, you know, seems like they've got an opportunity. You believe they have a problem. You know, the five people will generally be enough to give you a pretty good indication of what the common problem is between them, right? They, they may express it differently, um, but you need to listen really well. Now, if each one of them have really different problems, you may not understand that problem space well. Um, and, and you may be aiming at the wrong target. So when we look at potentially having to pivot, which is something you brought up, I'm sure there might be people who are listening. They're like, I want to start a business. And we've kind of addressed some of their, their thoughts early on. But there might be a lot of people listening who are like, oh, my goodness, I'm a year or two in. And I'm unsure at this point, uh, did I do this right? And if not, what are some of the warning signs that, that are, should be jumping out? or might be subtly presenting themselves uh, to somebody who may not have gone the right path? Yeah. So, so the, I mean, the, the first one is if you're going into a market where you're having to um, essentially create demand by educating, um, that, that generally ends poorly for you. Uh, the next guy sure benefits from it, um, but you will spend most of your energy, time, and resources trying to build that market and we'll probably run out of steam and then be replaced, right? The, the whole idea of you got to be the first to market, eh, no, you really don't want to be the first to market because you're the one that will do all the expense and the, and the you know, creation of demand and then fail um, because it's just so ludicrously expensive. Um, the, the next thing is if you've, if you've built something and you have not been 
um, throughout the process, um, interacting with potential customers, uh, exposing them and asking them questions. Does this work for you? Does this, how does this fit within uh, how you see the problem and all that? But instead, you've talked to them and then you go away for a year and a half and then you come back. Um, I'm going to bet that you're probably pretty off on your actual implementation um, because the there are a lot of nuances in how they view things and how it actually works within the you know their their workflow. Um, the The one thing I can tell you is that the the biggest obstacle you can have um, to getting somebody to adopt a product is not price. Um, it's it's change. Um, making them do something that they are not used to doing or changing how they have done something in the past. Um, you know, people, the, the, the idea of, of economics is that people are rational maximizers, uh, you know, for their economic gain. Um, and I, while I think that's true, I think they are also uh, rational minimizers for entropy, right? That, that they, they try to minimize change as much as possible. Um, and, and that's true for, for almost every person. Um, and so if I come in, yeah, I can, I can save you however much, but we have to totally change how you do everything. They're not hearing it. They won't so how it. might you approach the consumers then? Like, so if you're a pork producer, you're the pork industry and you have consumers and we're really trying to figure out how to improve domestic demand. I, I think, I think that the, the first thing you do is look at what are the habits that are going on right now? Okay, and then and then how do you how do you move a little bit? How do you reinforce the existing habits so that so that that um, that behavior happens more right and it is rewarded? Um, the next thing is you you try to very incrementally and with little to no risk to the consumer get them to move right. You you don't make them take the the, the journey in one big step. It's got to be a progressive um, setup, right? You know that that. Here, don't, I'm not throwing you in the deep end of the pool. I'll just let you put the toe in the water. You can leave it any time, right? But I'm just trying to get you, uh, you know, acclimated to this new possibility and then another new possibility, right? One bit at a time. If you try to just get them all in at once, it's terrible, right? I mean, if I, if I told you that, that you know, in 1990, um, I'm going to tell everybody who has a telephone uh, that I'm going to come in and rip it out and they're going to have these wireless uh, computers that they walk around and talk into and they can do this and that, whatever. They'll be like, the hell with that. I'm not doing anything like that. Right. But it was little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. And now, you know, good luck finding a landline. No, this is really helpful. Just kind of think about this whole process. And um, I guess if you had a golden nugget beyond everything we've already shared, what, what might that be? I know. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I trade in gold. I may have fool's gold occasionally. Um, <laughs> the, I think the thing that, that I would look at is, is you have to um, build your, your company and um, culture and the processes within uh, your company around a very clear view of what is your customer's uh, you know, what's their current reality? Uh, what is their pain point? And, and what is the philosophy for how we're moving to address that, that pain point? Um, if, if you do that, then everybody 
within understands why we exist and how we're going to go about it, which means that if the janitor has a good idea, then you listen to the janitor, right? Um, ideas should be born as orphans. Uh, they don't get the benefit of, of, you know, pedigree or lineage. Just because the CEO had an idea doesn't mean it's true or right or correct. Um, you know, it's the ideas have to stand on their own and they have to be fire tested. Um, you know, if, if everybody in the room agrees to, you know, that this is a great idea, somebody needs to argue against it and hard uh, because there's, I, I've never encountered an idea that was so uh, stunningly true uh, that I couldn't come up with a counter argument as to how it could possibly fail. And by going through that and, and arguing out, why does this, you know, why does it look, you can do it internally, you know, I mean, within yourself, um, you know, you're always going to have incomplete information. You're always going to, to have to make decisions uh, with some sort of time limit or money limit or things like that, right? They're always compromises. Uh, once you make a decision, you need to act as if, okay, that's, that's the way, right? I made the decision. When I got to the point of making a decision, that's the way we're going. So that, you know, the, the company itself doesn't feel like it's just vacillating around between whatever the, the new idea is this week. But, you know, in the midst of that, you then, as the decision maker, have to question and look for any evidence as you're moving forward that that was wrong, right? It's an active process. Don't wait for somebody to come and tell you you were wrong. You should have been the first one to know you were wrong by seeing it, right? And, and you can do that by defining things like what is success and what is failure, right? Not just, oh, I'm going to succeed. What does that mean, right? Um, and and by, by defining that, and if you start to see you're trending towards fail, you better figure out why that is. Is it just a matter of, of our execution or is this really the wrong idea? And if you realize it's wrong, it's time to stop and, and pick a new path right now. Minimize it as much as you can. The earlier that you recognize when you're making a mistake, the cheaper it is for you and the better it is. Yeah, and I definitely appreciate all the help that you gave to us through some of those decisions to figure out what, what are the turns, where are they over the past five years? I think the, the, look, I, I didn't, you know, I certainly didn't come in with, but like I have vastly more, you know, uh, pork producing knowledge than you do. That's, that's ludicrous, right? Um, I came in and was willing to be ignorant and express that ignorance and, and make you explain things to me. And by you having to explain them, a lot of times you discovered your own, uh-oh, that's actually, I mean, as I'm, as I'm explaining this, I suddenly see the problem. Right. And that's great. Right. I mean, if all I have to do is just ask why and let you solve everything. Excellent. I uh, really appreciate you being on the popular pig podcast. I think there's a lot that can be learned from this, this episode and, and thank you very much for your time. You bet. Have fun. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available.
Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.